Now, I think we've already questioned the credibility of the program enough, uh, but if you read the front of it, it says, I'm Pastor Gale. I'm not. He's been away all summer. He has not been in a tragic accident. He did not grow a beard. Now, if you're keeping score at home, Gail and Leslie went back to some family um, functions. I won't say another reunion because I think this is the 34th or 35th family function that they've been at, um, which I think there's a West Virginia joke in there somewhere. So I'm sure, but I'll leave that alone. Um, I'm as surprised as you are that I'm on stage. Let me give you a little, let me give you a little, uh, a little um, behind the curtain between me and Gail. Our relationship goes like this. Gail teaches. I lead the church. My name is Jeff Van Buren. I'm an elder of the church. I, I help lead the church. If Gail can't find anybody else to teach on a Sunday, he's supposed to call me. I don't think he tried very hard. Let me just say that. And then when he, and then when he, and then when he comes to me, He's supposed to deliver notes to me with a topic and do all the groundwork and say, teach this. So he called me this week and said, hey, I've called everybody and nobody's available to teach. I need you. I said, great. Send me your notes. He said, no, I'm sorry. This is an open week. And so share your heart. It's not how it's supposed to work. I just want to let you know that's not how it's supposed to work. So, okay. Now, if you saw my notes, you'd start praying for me now, and you'd pray for yourself. We could be here for 10 minutes. We could be here till 2 o'clock. I'm not sure, okay? I'm being obedient to the Holy Spirit, and I'll let the Spirit kind of work with this stuff. So, so bear with me here a little bit. If you've been with us at all during the summer, we're in this, we're in this um, series, Culture. Um, we're talking about the Sermon on the Mount, and it's tough teaching. I don't know... You know, we start with the Beatitudes, we talk about anger, for crying out loud, we finish up the, the fifth chapter with love your enemies, Whew. and then Gail goes on to teach things like spiritual bankruptcy, godly sorrow, mourning our distance from God, blessed are the meek, having contentment in God's provision in our lives, hungering, thirsting for righteousness, being satisfied with righteousness, being merciful, being pure in heart. Peacemaking versus peacekeeping. Persecuted for Jesus' sake. Persecuted for righteousness' sake. What? What? And we're supposed to live this out, right? Salt and light, living that out, where we're going, moving forward. And oh, by the way, this is not the wrap-up of this series, right? We're just in the first third of the Sermon on the Mount. So we're going into exceeding the righteousness of the Pharisees, and we're doing that through our attitudes, through our desires, through our ambitions, and through our behaviors. And I still look at this stuff, and I said, man, I don't know. I'm convicted. I don't know. And I don't know about you, but through this teaching, it's tough. It's tough teaching because all of it's there, and Christ is calling us to it. He's not making a recommendation. It's not aspirational. But I know what to do. And I don't know if you've... I don't know if you've read ahead, but I read ahead, which is a little bit scary. And so we wrap up the fifth chapter of Matthew with this. And this is from the message, and it says this, In a word, what I'm saying is grow up. Your kingdom subjects, now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously toward others the way God lives toward you. 
So Christ apparently has heard my temper tantrum. He's apparently heard my immaturity. He's apparently heard my doubt. And he wraps up the fifth chapter with that. Tough love, right? Tough words. I don't know what to do with that. I'm convicted. So what do I do? I've got to ask the question, is this livable? And that's really where we're going to go today, is, is the Sermon on the Mount livable? Because we're called to it. We know we're called to it. And, and it's, it's, there's a challenge in that, which I've already mentioned. Um, the reality of it is, I'm not alone in this. You know, the, I believe the Sermon on the Mount is an ideal that Christ teaches, but so is the love chapter. The first, first Corinthians 13, the love chapter, is an ideal of love as well, Right? But we don't seem to question that quite as much. It's amazing to me how we grasp onto things within the mount like the Lord's Prayer. It's really easy to grasp onto that. Quite frankly, society grasps onto that. Non-believers grasp onto that, right? The golden rule is within the Sermon on the Mount. And we grasp onto that one pretty readily as well. The world does as well. But that's only a small portion of this big teaching of the Sermon on the Mount. And so... So as we look at that, we look at it being an ideal, and it's not aspirational, what do we do with that? Well, in studying for this week, I recognize that there are hundreds of pages of commentary, hundreds of pages of opinion on the Sermon on the Mount. It wasn't really meant for us as the believers to follow, or was it an ideal that was meant for only vocational pastors, or even for the twelve that followed Christ? Um, St. Augustine said... It's not for us. It's for the select few. It's for those in vocational ministry. It's for the disciples. Christ wasn't speaking to the masses. He was speaking to the few. Um, Martin Luther, who has a great way of siloing life, um, separated the moral law that Christ taught on from the spiritual law and said, yes, the believers are to follow the moral law, which is don't murder, don't commit adultery. The spiritual law is not for the, for the masses to follow. I'm not sure I agree with that. I think if you read later in Matthew, it, it becomes a little bit clear that maybe that's not the way it ought to be. Leo Tolstoy, the author, even wrote an opinion on it, wrote an opinion on the Sermon on the Mount. The amazing part is I can't really speak to Leo Tolstoy's spirituality, but I do recognize that he believes it was an ideal to live towards. He at least acknowledges it as an ideal to live towards. Um, Diedrich Bonhoeffer, same way. Bonhoeffer, um, who is a pastor and a martyr, really put it in terms of, we're called to it, let's do it, right? He didn't see it as a separation between the vocational ministers and between um, the mass of believers that were on the mountain with Christ. He saw it as, this is Christ's teaching for us, while it's ideal, it's what we need to strive for. And so this is where we're going to go today is, is um, what does it take to live this out? What does it take for me to live this out? Um, because I want to be clear, I'm in this journey. I'm in this journey, and I, I struggle with this stuff, and our teaching staff doesn't run this by me. I don't get a preview on Sunday mornings. I hear it just like you do, and, and it, it splits open my heart, and, and the Holy Spirit splits open my heart, and I don't know what to do, right? What I start recognizing is, I've got limits um, to my obedience, and those limits are driven by those limits are driven by really three factors, three key factors in my life. And if I can really can, um, manage those, 
and have God help me with those, I can truly be obedient to God's calling um, and Christ's calling specifically in this teaching of the sermon, um, but also in just everyday life. I can, I can pursue after God the way he's pursued after me uh, in a more readily way, in a more open way, if I can get through these. And there are three big ones, and maybe you recognize them in your own life. Maybe you've got other factors that limit those. Um, but that's where we're going to take this journey today, is we're going to really look at these three factors that limit at least my obedience to God, okay? So stick with me on this one, all right? It's going to be a bit of a roller coaster ride. All right. The first one is a really small one, trust. Trust's a funny thing in the fact that trust shows up in me in a, in a couple of different varieties. It can show up in me, a lack of trust in God shows up in me in emptiness. Or it shows up in me in, in this burden of ownership. I feel like I need to now own a situation. I need to own an environment. I need to own something that isn't mine to own because I'm not trusting God with it. Right? So trust, a lack of trust in God looks like that when I live it out that way. Um, if I trust in God, it's freeing. I don't have to have that burden of ownership. If I trust in God, it's, it's relief because I don't have to own the stuff I'm not called to own. And, and, and that's, that's very freeing, right? The problem is we're called to pray in all things and in all matters. And yet it's so easy for me to want to touch it. It's so easy for me to not give all that over to God. It's so easy for me to say, you know what, God? I got it. I got this one. I'll let you have the next one. Well, we know God's big. We know God's bigger than all of our, we know God's bigger than all of our problems. We know he's small enough to be intimate with us and he's big enough to handle anything we have. But how quickly we want to touch it. We want to touch it, not trust. So we're called to pray in all things and all matters. And if we truly did that and we give that over to God, that's living out trust in God, right? That you're relieving yourself of that burden and you're giving it over to God. But we don't do that. The reality of it is, the reality of it is a lack of trust impacts relationships. I'm referring to it in the vertical relationship with God, but it also impacts and limits our horizontal relationships as well, right? Let me show you how that happens. Um, with a little diagram that I've titled the Pyramid of Peace. Now, I didn't invent the Pyramid of Peace. I don't know if you're familiar with the Pyramid of Peace. Um, I've adapted it for today. Um, Gail and I and some others have studied a few books, and the Pyramid of Peace comes out. And so you'll see it starts at the bottom, and it says the way of being is trust. And in my terms, trust, as we talk about our horizontal relationships with each other, there's really two ways of being. Either we're in a heart of peace where I don't have anything between you. You and I have nothing between us. You know, by the way, that facilitates trust. Or we're in a heart of war. Now, the weird part is we could be in a heart of war and one of us doesn't even know it. Right? There's been an offense. And we didn't tell each other about it, quite frankly, I don't need to tell you about it. You ought to know. Mark, I don't like you. And you may not know that. And I just said it here on stage, which makes it kind of weird all of a sudden, right? <laughs> but all of a sudden, I've got a, I've got a wall between me and Mark, right? And, and, and my heart, every time I see Mark, man, my heart kind of boils a little bit towards Mark. That's a heart at war. 
That's a heart at war, right? So our way of being is a choice. We have to choose war or peace. We have to choose trust. So trust becomes the foundational element of every relationship we have. The next level is we can then start a relationship. The next is we can deepen and influence a relationship. Then there's listening and learning. That's that mutual sharing. Then there's teaching and communicating. And then there's correction at the top, which if you look at correction, that's that right to correct. Man, I'm seeing something in your life, and I'm really concerned about you, and I really want to share with you where I think you're off the rails on what God's calling you to do. Sounds a lot like accountability. Now, here's the weird part about a pyramid of peace. Society wants us to spend all our time at the top on correction. And society tells us that by spending all our time at the top, um, we'll get people to change in their behavior. I think society's wrong. I think you've got to earn that right. You've got to invest in a relationship to get to the top of this pyramid. If you're spending all your time at the top of this peace pyramid, you're focusing on what's going wrong. It's kind of pessimistic. Because all I want to do is correct. I haven't earned the right to correct, but all I want to do is correct. I say, and I think Christ's teaching says, we need to spend all of our time in the bottom half of this pyramid. In every relationship we have. I don't care if you're a parent with a child. I don't care if you're in a marriage or another relationship. I don't care if... uh, you know, this is, a, this is a work relationship. But if you can build trust, if you can build trust in that relationship, you can actually have a relationship. You can deepen that relationship. You can influence that relationship. You get to a point where you've got mutual understanding through listening and learning. You get to a point where you can get to, to a level where you can teach and communicate. And, oh, by the way, with that comes correction or behavior change. So I'm just proposing that this isn't just about our vertical relationship This is also about our horizontal relationships. Um, I'd give you this little tip right here. And I've learned it uh, kind of the hard way in being in leadership of the church. When you've got to have a tough conversation with someone, ask the question, do you trust me? Because if they don't trust you, they won't hear you. Everything else you say after that point will not be heard because they don't trust you. So go back and, and focus on that. The beauty of the pyramid of peace is this. If you're struggling with a layer in the pyramid of peace, you really have to focus on the layer below it because your foundation isn't sound. And so if you're struggling with deepening a relationship, go back to the start of that relationship. If you're struggling with even starting a relationship, go back to the point of, is there mutual trust? As a man, we want to talk about respect. It's about trust. It's about trust. And this is, again, this is both for our vertical relationship with God as well as our horizontal relationships. I told you this would be easy stuff, right? This is all going to be good stuff, right? Yeah. Um, the second one, the, the second factor that keeps me from being obedient is fear. And for those of you who know me, you know I'm not afraid of much. Um, primarily clowns and failure. Um, maybe having my pastor friends ask me to talk, that may be another one that comes up. But there's not much. So fear manifests itself in me as control. When I'm fearful of a situation, I'm going to manage it. I'm going to manage the tar out of it. And, and it doesn't always work out the way I want it to go. So it's kind of weird that way. 
right? Now, here's the other weird part is when it comes to fear, I have a 15-year-old with a driver's permit. I know fear, <laughs> right? I know fear. So um, I'm not afraid of much. I'm afraid of dying at the hands of my children. I've read Oedipus. I know how that laid out. Um, it's not good. But, um, but really for me, for really for me, um, fear comes out of me in control. When I am in fear, when I'm afraid, I don't recoil. I do the opposite of that. I engage. I may engage in a way that's unhealthy. I may engage in a way that has teeth to it. I may engage in a way that has claws to it. And I get really tenacious about a situation, which doesn't make me a very friendly person to hang out with. Let me just say that, especially when I'm afraid. So fear is a funny thing, and maybe you recognize it in your own life. Maybe it manifests itself in you in a different way. But fear is one of those things that butts right up against trust. If I can trust God with all things, I, don't have to, I fear no man. I fear no evil. Um, but it's there. I, I'm acknowledging that it's there in my life. I'm acknowledging that it's there in my lack of obedience with God. I'm acknowledging that it's tough. It's tough to pull that fear aside and see it for what it is. But it's there. Um, the next one is another small one in my life. It's pride. Um, pride shows up in me a couple different ways. It can show up in me in um, stubbornness. Man, I can dig in. I can trench in. Um, it also shows up in me in single-mindedness. I can't see your point of view because I'm too proud. Now, here's the weird part about pride. It's ubiquitous, right? You don't need to work at being proud it's in you. If you don't know it's in you, it's in you. It's in all of us. Um, it just happens. And that's the tough part about pride. Pride resists accountability. Pride resists it. Pride's the part of you that says, when someone says, how are you doing? I'm fine. I'm good. I've got this mastered. There's no problems in my life. All's well here. That's pride, Right? Pride is that lack of vulnerability. That's pride. It's pride. Pride couldn't be more wrong. Pride couldn't be more wrong. Pride, pride can be a lie to you. Pride can really truly be a lie to you. Um, Corey Newhoff wrote a blog this week, and he was talking about Mars Hill Church. He was talking about Mark Driscoll. And the weird part was I shared this blog with Gail, and then CJ sent the same blog to Gail as well. Um, and not that we see these things in Gail, but what I started recognizing is as I was writing my talk and, and CJ was working on his talk, we're actually running parallel tracks. And we're actually talking about these things that limit our obedience at some level. And so uh, Corey said this. He said, um, you don't have to be transparent with everyone, but you need to be transparent with someone. Accountability helps our obedience. We talked about life groups. We talked about life groups, and I'm going to tell you, being part of a healthy life group creates accountability in your life. It creates that microcosm of ministry that allows you to grow and nurture and minister to each other in an intimate way, in an intimate way that you can't do on an, in an hour on Sunday morning. Um, pride will also lead you to believe that accountability is a threat. Man... If Pat knows about me, I won't like that because Pat won't like me. 
He'll see that dark side of me. He'll see that, that thing that I don't like to talk about, and that's going to come out. At some point, that's going to come out if we're true accountability partners, if we're truly sharing as brothers in Christ and we're open and honest with each other. Man, there's a side of me I don't like to talk about. And Pat's going to know it. And that's going to make me vulnerable to Pat. But in true mutual accountability, I'm going to know some stuff about Pat too. And that's going to come out, and that's going to be okay. And we're going to, we're going to grow through that. We're going to grow with each other. That's that iron sharpening iron principle that, that we've all heard taught here. What you understand about accountability, though, is it's not a threat. It's a lifesaver. At the end of the day, accountability is a lifesaver. So you've got to set pride aside, and you've got to um, give in to that. You've really got to give in to that concept of, of accountability, um, which requires you to be vulnerable. And vulnerability is really kind of the opposite of pride. Um, I struggle with it at times. I struggle with it at times when it comes to being vulnerable and, and being open and, um, with those that, quite frankly, could use it against me, which is where that whole trust thing comes back in, right? And that whole fear thing comes in, too. And you start to see how this knot is all interwoven, and uh, that's challenging. That's challenging. Some of you know that Gail and I are part of a motorcycle ministry. Some of you may not know that Gail and I are part of a motorcycle ministry. And... Um, it's pretty cool. The biker community becomes our mission field in this motorcycle ministry. And it sounds kind of like Sons of Anarchy type stuff. And it sounds like a lot of fun stuff. And in reality, it brings purpose to riding motorcycles, which we really love to do. But last year, Gail and I were invited to go to a meeting. And we were invited to go to this meeting um, by a group of guys that you don't ignore, and by a group of guys that don't require an RSVP. If you've been invited to the meeting, you better show up. And um, the group that invited us was the leadership of all the motorcycle clubs in the state of Michigan. And you might have a picture in your mind of a riding club that gets together for fellowship and the Christian Motorcycle Association of America and we're going to have coffee, and we're going to talk, and that's not this group, okay? That's not this group at all. Um, you see a guy on a motorcycle, and he's wearing a vest, he's wearing a patch, and he looks kind of threatening. That's that group. That's the group who's invited us to this meeting. And really what it comes down to is they want to know, they see a couple big guys riding around on motorcycles wearing vests and wearing patches, and they want to know us, and they don't know us. And they want to know if we're a threat. And they want to know if we're a threat to them. They want to know if we're a threat to their territory. They want to know if we're a threat to their business. And so they've invited us to this meeting. And on the surface, I mentioned it's a motorcycle ministry and that the biker community is our mission field. And I'm being dumped into the deep end of my mission field really quick. And it seems like, wow, this is really cool. Thanks, God, for this opportunity. That's not how it came out, right? That's not how it came out. To say that my obedience to God was questioned is an understatement, maybe the biggest understatement I've made all day. In reality, it was tough. So we made plans because you had to. We went because we had to. 
because we were being called to. And um, I didn't mention that we rode to this meeting 90 miles away in a rainstorm on motorcycles. Because you can't go to a motorcycle meeting in a car. <laughs> Hurt your credibility a little bit, right? So you can't do that. So we, we rode. Did I mention that Pastor Gill is my backup in this? Did I mention that to you? Right? You've met Pastor Gill. And so it was challenging physically. It was challenging psychologically. It was challenging emotionally. It was challenging spiritually to go to this meeting. And I talked to Beth about it. I talked to others about it. And they're like, what in the world are you doing? We're going to an outlaw biker clubhouse up in Michigan to meet with 200 to 300 bikers to see if we're worthy to continue riding bikes and ministering in the state of Michigan. What? You're going to do what? I wish I had cameras with me. I wish I could have taped it because there's a great TV series in there somewhere. Right? Pastors Gone Wild or something like that. I don't know. But it, it, was, uh, it was pretty wild. It was pretty wild. But let me say this. In retrospect, I look at this and I say, my trust in God was not maximized that day. That was one of those moments when I... When I looked at the room and went, nope, I got this one. I could be threatening here. I've got, I've got the intimidation factor. I'm going to do, th- I, I got this. Now, we prayed before we left. That seemed to work. I prayed the whole drive up there, quite, be quite honest with you. But we got there and that emptiness rolled over me. That stubbornness kicked in. That, that burden of ownership of this situation took over. It was tough. It was tough. Fear. I didn't minimize fear that day. I hid it from the room. There's 200, 300 bikers there. I hid it from the room, man, but it was right about here. Right below my vocal cords where my fear was at. It wasn't good. Pride. Pride was unchecked. Pride was unchecked. Because it's a lot of puffy chests in, in, a, in a group full of bikers. Right? And... And they want to know a lot of stuff about you. And what's weird about the biker community is there's a part of it, and Gail and I talked about this after this meeting, because if we could run a church leadership meeting the way they run a meeting, we get some stuff done. But, um, but that being said, they use some verbiage that we probably can't get away with in a church meeting. The reality of it is this. Um, man, those three factors of obedience kicked in for me. Those three factors of obedience kicked in for me. And it swamped my boat. I wasn't happy. And here I am being obedient to God's calling, but the way it manifested itself in the moment was not pretty. It's not what I thought. I wasn't being truly obedient to God in that time. And it was tough. It was tough. It was really... It was, it was funny how we're, we're, we're called to this purpose of being in ministry and all of a sudden we're thrust into the deep dark underbelly of it and we don't know what to do and i didn't trust god i didn't trust god now that being said obviously we survived i suppose we were accepted at some level they they didn't beat us up they didn't call us names by the end of it they were trying to recruit us for some other groups that maybe weren't ministry focused um but what i recognize in that is this that that these three factors are stumbling block for me, and I'm not new to my faith. I mentioned I'm in leadership here, and I'm not new to my faith. And so for me, it becomes this situation where 
only way I have an opportunity to live out the teachings of the Sermon on the Mount is to give these over to Christ, to give these over to Jesus and allow him to manage them within my persona. Because if I'm left to my own devices, that stuff flares up at any given time. And there's no switch I can turn it off with. It is what it is, right? Now, I, I recognize that I might not be the only one that struggles with obedience with Christ's teaching. But um, let me say it this way. Um, if you've been around Element for any time, you've heard us talk about the fact that we believe that everyone is in process. Has everybody heard that? Anybody not heard that? No shaking heads. Perfect. Perfect. So we believe that everyone's in process, and we, we are supportive of that. Um, a little insight here. My tablet, I pushed the wrong button, and my tablet totally turned off, so that's perfect. Um, so in my process, I understand that I'm mid-journey. I've still got ways to go. I've not arrived. None of us have arrived. So, so the tough part of it is this. I've got to keep working. And so my reminder to keep working, I find in, in, in Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, in 1 Thessalonians 4, um, 1 through 12, it says this. Finally, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus to live in a way that pleases God as we have taught you. You live this way already, and we encourage you to do so even more. For you remember what we taught you by the authority of the, of, of the Lord Jesus. goes on to say, Paul says, God's will is for you to be holy. So stay away from all sexual sin. Then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor. Not in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God in his ways. Never harm or cheat a fellow believer in this matter by violating his wife. For the Lord avenges all such sins as we have solemnly warned you before. Paul goes on to write, God has called us to live holy lives not impure lives. Therefore, anyone who refuses to live by these rules is not disobeying human teaching, but is rejecting God, who gives, us his Holy, who gives His Holy Spirit to you. But we don't need to write to you about the importance of loving each other, for God Himself has taught you to love one another. Indeed, you already show your love for all the believers throughout Macedonia. Even so, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you to love them even more. He wraps up with this. Make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business and working with your hands, just as we instructed you before. Then people who are not believers will respect the way you live, and you will not need to deepen or de- to depend on others. Um, in, the end, in the message, the end of that passage reads this. Stay calm, mind your own business, do your job. Period. Pretty simple, pretty direct. At the end of the day, hey, Thessalonians, keep working. I acknowledge that you're doing it. Do it more. Do it more so. Keep on keeping on doing the right things. And that's the reminder for all of us. If, 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 we, stray, if we stray, we need to keep working towards it. We need to keep working towards that ideal. As an elder here at Element, I commit this to you, that we will maintain an environment um, to support process of spiritual growth and maturity. How you might ask, well, if you've been around at all, you've heard of our three E's, right? We've got that great number in our name. Um, 
But I don't know if you know this. If you've been through our e-groups, you know that there's five I's that support those three E's. So our ultimate goal at Element Church is to create E3 Christ followers, and we've talked about that. Who's been through e-groups? Anybody been through e-groups? A few hands. Okay. If you have not, um, the next, they'll be coming up in, uh, here in a few more weeks. Um, I strongly recommend that you, you get on board and you go through those e-groups to understand who we as Element Church, who we as Element Church are and what it is that we believe. So at the top we've got Christ follower, E3 Christ follower, and there's the three, this one's kind of tough to read, but there's the three E's. There's encounter, which you're doing today through our encounter worship service. There's express in the middle. And then there's engage. So when you look, when you look at the encounter part, it has it's 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 really comes down to an eye that says interest. And the interest is are you coming? Are you attending? Right? And that's how you live that out. You live that out through worship and prayer. When you look at express, there's three ways <clears throat> to look at express. There's involve, which means are you growing? And as Pat mentioned during the during the updates. Life group is a great place to, to get involved and to grow. Be a part of a life group that can support your spiritual growth. The other way is to imitate Christ um, by serving. So we imitate Christ through a life of service, and we do that at, at any point within the ministry to which you're gifted, to which you're being called. And the last way uh, under Express is to invest. And it says, are you giving? And that doesn't mean just monetarily, but you've got talent in time to go along with your treasures to, to invest back into the ministry. And we're called to do that. As a part of this living body of believers, we're called to, to invest ourselves back into the ministry. Under engage, it's really that idea of, of evangelism. Are you inviting others to come? Are you sharing your story? Are you sharing Christ's story? Um, and, and, and that, that really speaks to the unchurched. So we've got three E's, encounter, express, engage. And we've got these five I's, interest, involve, imitate, invest, and invite, because we like alliteration here at Element Church. We don't like anything else. We like alliteration. So um, now let me say this. Do I believe that by living out the three E's and the five I's that it will help you achieve the ideal of the Sermon on the Mount? No, I don't. I don't. But if you live these out on a daily basis, if you live these out on a daily basis, I believe that you'll be that much closer. I believe you'll have a, a, a more fulfilling life. I think you'll have a more fulfilling relationship with Christ as your, as your Lord and Savior. And I think that it will deepen your spiritual walk to a point that you can't get to without doing these. Okay? As the worship team comes back up, let me close with this. Because there's really a tough reality here. There's really a tough reality here, and that tough reality is this. That we have to be dogged in our pursuit of Christ. We have to be dogged in our pursuit of Christ and His calling on each of our lives. Um, and there's no, there's, there's no shortcut to that. It requires lifelong commitment. Um, later on in Matthew, in the 7th chapter of Matthew, it says this. And this is from the message. Don't look for shortcuts to God. The market is flooded with surefire, easygoing formulas for a successful life that can be practiced in your spare time. Let me stop there. Doesn't that sound like an infomercial you just heard on TV? 
I've got this quick fix formula that does this for you. But Peterson writes that in the message, don't look for shortcuts to God. The market is flooded with surefire, easygoing formulas for a successful life that can be practiced in your spare time. Don't fall for that stuff, even though crowds of people do. The way to life to God is vigorous and requires total attention. Total attention. Don't be distracted. Don't get distracted. Diedrich Bonhoeffer said it this way in his book, The Cost of Discipleship. He said, Cheap grace is the deadly enemy of our church. We are fighting today for costly grace. That's what we're talking about is costly grace. If I can say anything about this, because I'm going to live this out, is keep the faith. Keep the journey alive. Don't give up. Um, We're all in this together. I want to clarify that the teachings of Christ in this, the teachings of of this series are for the believer. If you're not a believer, you don't know Christ, you don't know, you're not a part of God's family, let's talk about that. Let's talk about that, that, that offer of grace and love and mercy and eternal life that Christ um, freely gives to you. I'd love to talk with you about that. I'd love to pray with you um, if you haven't made that decision. If you're part of Christ's family, but you're questioning your commitment to living this out day to day, man, I'd love to pray with you about that too. I'd love to talk to you about that because, again, we're made to do this walk together. We're made to take this journey together. It's why we come together in faith. That's why we talk about the metaphor of a body of believers. That's why we talk about the family of believers. Because we're not made to do it alone. We're not. It's a lie if you think it, it, that we are. And I know Gail just taught on that just recently. So let's maximize our trust in God. Let's minimize our fear. Let's, minimize, let's set our pride aside. And let's, let's live out this ideal that, that Christ has laid before us. This series is going to go on for a bit. And like I said, it doesn't get easier. But, man, there's something to take away from that. There's something to take away from that. I appreciate you sticking with me through this. Let me pray real quick, and, and, and we'll continue on in the service. Father God, we just, Lord, we just, uh, we love you so much. We just, we just... We give this over to you, Lord. We give our struggles over to you, Lord. And we give over to you, our humanness and our weakness. And we know that with your divine intervention in our lives, that anything is attainable. The ideal that Christ laid before us. But Lord, we have to get out of our way. We have to get out of your way. And so Lord, we commit today that we would do that. Lord, I, I commit today that I will do that, Lord. That I recognize that I've got things in my life that limit my obedience to you. And I, I commit to set those aside clear a path for you that I can focus on you and you alone because it is it requires such a lifelong focus Lord we just uh, it's a worthy battle Lord it's a worthy journal we acknowledge that eternal life love peaceful living those are great things Lord you allow us that because of because of your love because of the sacrifice your son made for us Lord Lord we give all this over to you in the powerful name of your son Jesus Christ. Amen.